Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. This is a podcast from Minute Media. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of books that have come out this week, as well as this week we're going to be doing one of your requests. Yes. Negamaki left a comment over on Apple <laughs> Podcasts. Not the dish, you really let the but the username. Hang. Yeah, uh, it's, one of my fa- it's one of my favorite dishes. So it's I'm what's for dinner. Excited. I love it. Yeah. So Beef Nagamaki left a request for Champions by Mark Wade and Humberto (laughs) Ramos. So we are going to be reviewing that at the end of the show. If you would like to request a book, an old graphic novel, a trade collection, something that maybe we haven't reviewed in a while, or something we just missed that's recent, hit us up there, leave us a five-star rating, and then leave us something in the comments, and we will get to it. We love getting requests from all of you. For, we haven't covered any of Alex's light pornographic uh, comic book fan. Oh, yeah, let's keep books. that going. Let's <laughs> not we'll do see that. what happens. We'll see what happens. Maybe, <laughs> yes. maybe <laughs> beef negamaki. Wink, wink. We'll leave another comment. No, we'll see what happens. Yes. <laughs> no beef. Beef. No. No beef. No beef. No beats. Well, let's see how much beef we have with Dark Crisis, number one from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Daniel Semperi. This is finally the big kickoff of DC's big event here as the great darkness attacks the DC universe, courtesy of Pariah. Meanwhile, they are reeling from the death of the Justice League or the reported death of the Justice League by Black Adam. Yeah. A lot of people are very suspicious about it, what's actually going on there which is fair. And then, spoiler, but by the end of the issue, this was set up in the last issue, we're getting a big attack by United Villains of the DC Universe. So here we're getting to the kickoff here. What did you guys think about the beginning of this event? It's like page 16 or 17. It's a 16-panel grid with uh, Superman go- going and at John asking um, a bunch of heroes to be at the, in the new Justice League. I love it. That's all I want. I want to, this is exactly why I love big events is when you get like, I got to put together a new team and you see which different uh, tools he pulls out of the toolbox and he's coming up with whoops, all blue beetles, <laughs> all blue beetles. What about you, Pete? what do you think of this one? I liked it. I really feel like this is a great uh, start to a big event. I really thought this was a solid first issue, like really kind of laying out this idea, getting a new league together. This is fun. I like Black Adam being a dick. This is just a, it's a great kind of start to this. I feel like it's epic enough and uh, well built up enough. I'm in. Oh, all I was going to say was I enjoyed this as well. I think Daniel Samperi's art is really good for a big event good. like this. There's some, they show this off, I think, at the free comic book day issue, but there's this big splash of everybody yeah. mourning the Justice League. And that's just a really, really nice page with Green Lantern yeah. and other folks floating over the crowd. And like you said, the grid, John recruiting things, not quite living up to the legacy of his father and really trying to. Those are great themes to play with. 
Right now, this feels like a really good kickoff to a Justice League story to, for me, other than the pariah stuff and the uh, Great Darkness stuff in the background. It feels like all it's missing is somebody throwing those picture cards down on the table and be like, which ones are we going to choose? Yeah. But as it is, it's fun. It seems like some very classic elements of DC Comics. And I think based on the interviews that Joshua Williamson has given, that's what he's going for. He's just sort of remixing the elements and reminding you of, oh, yeah, these are fun things that DC does sometimes because we've yeah. mired in all this heaviness and continuity and all these different directions. So just giving us a classic crossover is, is a fun place to start. It also feels like sort of that um, reckless crisis energy where it's like, yeah, we're going to kill a bunch of these people. A bunch of these people are going to have like wild changes to their lives. But then because it's a crisis, we're going to etch a sketch, erase it all and come back with whatever the new continuity is. Just to break down the new Justice League a little bit further, two Blue Beetles, we have two uh, super characters, uh, Superman and Supergirl here, which I think is awesome. What do you think the rationale of getting Harley Quinn in the mix here is? She's so popular, popular right now. She's, she's so hot right now. You got to put her in everything. Yeah, like, you have I, a book that doesn't have quite is it a book even. Yeah, not even a book, just a bunch of well, pictures. Well, so her powers are large hammer, right? Yep. Exactly. So I don't see how she's going to assist in any cosmic <laughs> battles. But uh, maybe it's about just her view, her POV. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a fun thing to put on the team. Continuity wise, it doesn't really make any sense or why they'd be like, hey, check it yeah. out. There's this uh, former villain who tortured Gotham for years. Now they're on the Justice League. Surprise. So it definitely does emphasize that John is kind of taking whatever he can get at this point. But yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Sometimes you yeah. just need someone with a giant hammer. Exactly. Particularly if That's you're building right. just a giant to ask house. Gallagher. That, that. <laughs> Two different things. That's why I keep Gallagher keeps coming over to my barbecues. Yeah. Fortnite X Marvel Zero War number one from Marvel, written by Christos Gage and Donald Mustard, the spiciest man in comics, art by <laughs> oh Sergio Davila. Get me mustard, yeah. Donald Mustard. Colonel <laughs> Mustard. Uh, this is following up on a bunch of stuff from Fortnite, a game that I don't regularly play, but mixing in the uh, Marvel Universe here <laughs> as they deal with the big plot lines now. We, I think, loved the Zero Point crossover that they did over in DC Comics, where Batman was trapped in Fortnite, ultimately had to break out thanks to some of the characters there, as well as Catwoman. It was a fantastic Batman-Catwoman story, also from, I believe, the same team. Here, we're getting something a little bit different as Spider-Man recruits some of the biggest heroes in the Marvel Universe to fight the ultimate battle over in Fortnite. This is definitely more continuity-heavy, not just with the stuff that's happened in these Fortnite comics, but also literally Fortnite, the game itself. What'd you think about this? Yeah, I think this is just over-the-top fun. This is just, you know, just kind of uh, fun mashups, different groupings, different people fighting. I think the premise of this is just such a great idea, and it's nice to see just what creatively-wise what we're going to kind of see in this. This is this is epic and fun. I don't know if it's as great as the Batman stuff, but it's definitely uh, – I'm having a blast with it. Now, when you say over the top fun, you mean the movie over the top about arm wrestling? Yeah, it's about putting your turning your hat backwards and turning into part machine. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this truck back here. Yeah, I got you. We're all speaking the same language. Um, yeah. I think because I think we uh, the DC Fortnite book. I feel like we love started super strong. By the yeah. end of it, it was sort of Alex especially was like craves like t- t- a tween. How much he loved Fortnite? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, a little bananas. 
It was really bananas. I was doing one of those Fortnite dances. I was uh, f- I was flossing. Yeah, I was oh flossing. Uh, but um, over the course of the series, it sort of lost the thread a little bit. And this feels like the flip. This book it has to lay so much pipe to get us to like the end of the uh, the sort of the beginning of the story. There's so much continuity that is laid down that I feel like this is going to get better as it goes on once all the vegetables have been eaten. In this that's situation. weird. That's ne- the first time I've heard laying pipe in a negative term. So that's interesting. <laughs> Uh, let's not get into that too much, but I I agree with you, Justin, there's so much going on here. And, you know, every once in a while I have played Fortnite before I do not play it regularly. And every once in a while I'll see trending on Twitter, like, Oh shit, they flipped the Island. And I'm like, this is, I don't know what's going on. I'm out. This is clearly, this is your thing. I'm glad you're having a good time. But reading through this, it definitely was like hearing a friend explain four seasons of Fortnite to you, which mind you, we do with our comic book show all the time. So I get it. (laughs) But to your point, I want to read this. And one of the things that was so enjoyable about the Batman thing is you didn't know, have to know Fortnite. You can just kind of get into it and ride it from there. This feels like what I expect from this sort of crossover. And Christos Gage always delivers. He knows what he's doing in terms of writing. But I want a little bit more of that emotion there. And I'm hoping that comes as it goes on. It feels like we're going to get there. If we're talking about playing Fortnite, I play Fortnite all the time with uh, my niece and nephew. And oh, okay. uh, I was, you know, okay. you know, I just end up explaining who Donald Faison is to him over and over again, you know, and then just making them <laughs> try to watch Scrubs. Is that is Donald Faison a playable character in Fortnite? Well, he's the one who created the dance that is so used in Fortnite. I mean, come oh. on. Okay. Donald Faison <laughs> as a character or Donald Faison the person? The he the Scrubs character who I, you know this is oh, just okay like so all Fortnite over takes place in the continuity of Scrubs, Scrubs. I feel like they yeah, should exactly. bring that up at some point yeah I know you think Scrubs would be back on the air that, that game is popular <laughs> Poison Ivy number one from DC Comics written by G Willow Wilson art by Marcio Takara we mentioned this on the live show but a neat little side tie in here as Miss Marvel kicks off today on Disney Plus that was co created by G Willow Wilson now we're getting a new comic book. From her here with Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy is now integrated back into herself. She is feeling different, looking different. And as we find out over the course of the issue, potentially maybe dying, back to being a supervillain and spreading pathogens all over America. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, this is not what I expected from this book at all. Yeah. Such a dark turn. This might be one of the best first issues of a villain book that I've ever read. Agreed. Loved it. I thought this is so good as well. Like, it's such a dark turn that I didn't see coming. While still able to, like, loop in the Harley relationship and keep the continuity going. Um, But doing a completely justified, like, dark turn. um, But the way she justifies it in her uh, sort of philosophy and the way that she is as connected to the green, I thought it made total sense. I feel like I almost, I kept looking back to see if this was Black Label. Yeah. Uh, I... Because she's killing people. Um, yeah. I, but I, I agree. I loved it. I thought the art was great as well. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm just going to say we're not talking enough about the art because it's worth it for the art alone, people. It's just such a great uh, artistic rendering of Ivy and kind of what she's going through right now and her kind of di- disconnect from her powers and uh, the green and stuff. So I'm having a blast. It's a lot darker than I thought, but it's also more impressive than I thought it was going to be. It's really just a great first issue where you're just like, holy shit, 
This is so cool. Let's go. Uh, I cannot wait for the next issue of this. I, it made me like, want to go lay down in a bed of actual poison ivy face first. Mm, uh, don't. Uh, that's that's a rare treat. You're not going to forget. Uh, I got my calamine lotion right here, bro. Don't bring <laughs> oh, up wow. poison ivy. That was very handy. Hey, well, I'm you covered Pete. in poison ivy right now. Oh, my God. Are you serious? Yeah. You had a poison ivy mishap a few years ago. Oh, yeah, big time. I break out in what's called emotional poison ivy. What? <laughs> What? Wait, is that true? Yeah, if I get too stressed out, it kind of like manifests and it gets weird. Wait, is that based on the poison ivy mishap that you had? Uh, kind of, yeah. Wow, you're this leaving is... out a lot of details for I know, listeners. It's, it's very dark and fucked up, but uh, I'm trying to avoid talking about it. Kind of like this book. And one other thing <laughs> that I would like to say about it is that usually villain books, I feel like, fall into one of two things, right? You either have the venom lethal protector type thing where they're an anti-hero and maybe they do some messed up stuff, but I don't know. Or they're an external force that's driving the action for the main character. I'd throw Joker in that or on the Marvel side, the current Carnage book from I think Ram V nice. is writing that. Yeah, yeah. Which all of those things are like they're the they like get to be villains because they're on the side. They're not the main thing. Poison Ivy is the main character here. You get in your head, you get the psychology of what's going on with her, but she's really she's still very much a villain here, and it's great. So let's move over to a hero then. Jane Foster, The Mighty Thor, number one from Marvel, written by Torin Gronbeck, art by Michael Dowling. In this issue, Jane Foster is still Valkyrie despite the title, but halfway through the book, Mjolnir falls to her feet. Thor is in big trouble. Something has happened to him. She is rejecting the call, however, at least for this first issue, while dealing with a bunch of stuff on the home front with, obviously this is, setting up a new book so that they can have a trade collection when Thor Love and Thunder comes out in theaters. But do you think this held up anyway? Well, I got a little confused, but I think that this is... Very- <laughs> well, I guess I mean that, like, sometimes these books can feel like, ah, eh, we just wanted to get something on the shelf. So oh. does it feel like that, or does it feel like it stands on its own and stands up to the great run that Jason Aaron and Russell Dodderman did on well, The Mighty Thor? That's one of my favorite runs of all time, so I'm not I'm not going to immediately okay. compare it to that. I'm going to wait and see a little bit to see how it goes. But mm. as far it's, as... Like, real quick, how does this book compare to having the best sex of your entire life? Wow, this got real Same. weird fast. Same thing. Uh, but as far <laughs> as... As far as... Sorry, like, I- is this, like best sex of my life was laying face down in a bed of poison ivy. Is that <laughs> that's what uh, sex please, is, right? Please stop. I, to me, it is. Um, yeah, I've done that twice, and I've had two kids. Oh my god! <laughs> and it's what I, I consider sort of a, that hey, emotional sex. You know what hey, I mean? Alex, remember during the live show when you were having a nightmare and uh, we were rubbing salt in it? I'm sorry, but please make this stop. <laughs> Um, this this is really, uh, I think, very epic in a cool way. The art is bananas. I'm liking uh, the setup of all the characters on this chessboard that is this comic here. I think this is kind of a really cool take. Because we had such an epic run that was legendary, it's nice to kind of get something else with this character because Jane Foster is a great Thor and it's such a cool concept that I'm excited to see where this is going to go. And so far, I really like the start. Um, I hear you, Alex, on the it does feel a little bit like 
Jane Foster just became Valkyrie like a year ago. And she's great. It's great character. Really like um, her sort of in her own book and in, in the Thor continuity. But it does feel a little bit like, okay, we like that, but we also have to do this because this is what's coming. So we're going to do it. Um, I do think this is a, a good book. Um, it's just that it's a little bit of like, she, is she both of these people now? It's just a little confusing mm-hmm. right there along the Valkyrie Thor line. But in general, I think the story's great. I love they incorporated um, all of the Valkyrie's powers and uh, the Valkyrie characters. And it does seem like a real scary thing that's happening. Um, I like the implosion bombs that drop everywhere. A lot, lot to really be great. A lot, there's a lot of great stuff. In yeah, this. don't get me wrong. I had fun reading this book. I like the character. I think Torin Grunbach has a good handle on this world. And it's fun stuff. But there you go. Next up, Multiversity Teen Justice, number one from DC Comics, written by Ivan Cohen and Danny Lore, art by Marco Fela. In this issue, we're checking in on another part of the multiverse where everybody is gender flipped. We're focusing particularly on Teen Justice, per the title. What'd you guys think about this one? I think this is a great art and a fun team. I'm liking the kind of feel of this and getting to know people. I really think this is kind of like a cool take. And uh, I, I I feel like this was a great kind of welcome to the club. And this is who we got working on it. And uh, I'm excited to see more. Uh, I agree. I, I think this is great because... It's so hard to do a book where they're like, let's do a book that feels youthful, that feels like it's actual young characters. Because when you Teen Titans book and the normal continuity, there's just so much stuff to deal with. Like they they've had such a long continuity. They've dated each other. They have their legacy uh, heroes. They have to like always measuring up to and all of that. With this, we get all of the like superhero of these characters, the gender flip because it's on Earth 11. Um, refreshes it, um, which I think is great. And it does feel like it's a story where the characters genuinely feel young, where it's not like a 45-year-old person writing the book (laughs) just trying to be like, oh, TikTok, how can I squeeze that in here? Uh, Okay. Uh, It feels like they're actually What's hot right now, emojis? What's hot? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Flossing, uh, as Alex said. Who would say that? Who would say that? Only a cool young kid. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, kid. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, The Ward, number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Kevin Scott, art by Andreas Ponce. In this issue, we're introduced to a hospital for supernatural creatures. Now, Kevin Scott is going to be at our live show in a couple of weeks, so... Be kind, guys. Be, be nice. This is an upcoming <laughs> guest, okay? You know, uh, we, but I will say, I actually did like this book. I thought this was a wow. very fun... Way to discredit your own uh, opinion, uh, Alex. Uh, no, I, I really like this concept. Honestly, like, this feels like a very TV-ready concept for me, which is something that normally puts me off. But I think what this team does really nicely is makes it work really well in the issue. There's a surprising twist at the end here that sets up the rest of the book that I think is really interesting and it's going to be an interesting emotional thread to follow. But I love just the done in one nature of this book while setting up serial storytelling. I thought this was good stuff. What about you guys? Uh, I agree. Like this is one of those books where you get to the premise. You're like, Oh, so smart. Like where it like feels like, Oh, I can't believe this hasn't been done before. Um, Cause it has all the like fun specifics and things we love about like a, a hospital procedural like ER with all the just great uh, fantasy sci-fi specifics laid over top of it. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I don't want to keep talking about scrubs, but here we have like a you know a fun uh, yeah, scrubs. They, they keep like, setting it up with scrubs. You know, I uh, yeah, I think this is a really creative idea, really well executed. Um, you know, it sets up this interesting tone where it's like somebody walks up the steps and sees a dead body. Normal person would kind of like freak out, but they're like, oh, I work at the ward. Let's get this going. Uh, I think this is a very kind of cool idea. And I, I think the art really brings you into this world really well. And uh, yeah, I think they killed it on this issue. And I'm looking forward to more. Would you say you would hang out the passenger side of your best friend's ride trying to holler about this book? No, no, I wouldn't say this. <laughs> well, okay. folks, you know what I would hang out with is this week's sponsor, which is a great guy <laughs> named Damien Becton, who is a sixth grade English teacher and 2021 uh-huh. winning comic writer of Mad Cave Studios annual talent search. He wanted to tell a grounded human story set in a deadly sci-fi and fantastical world. Damien chose Kickstarter to transform this comic yeah. into reality. That comic is worlds away. Worlds Away is The Last God Meets Radiant Black. Great pitch. Set in a futuristic universe, Worlds Away is fantastic, archaic setting, all glued together by a story of a mother who will stop at nothing to protect her daughter. This is a spellbinding story filled with thrilling action sequences grounded by intense and sometimes brutal character moments and decisions. At the end of each issue, readers will be on the edge of their seats, itching to know what awaits our characters. As for fans of The Last God, Radiant Black, Once in Future, or oh. God of War on the PS4, search Worlds Away number one on Kickstarter or go to worldsawaycomic.com. The Kickstarter will be launching shortly. Sounds awesome. Very cool. Sounds very yeah. cool. What also sounds very cool is Flashpoint Beyond, number two from DC oh, Comics, written by Jeff Johns, Tim Sheridan, it? and Jeremy Adams. Art by Zermonico and Mikkel Janine. This is following up on another big event in the DC universe as Thomas Wayne has found himself back in the Flashpoint world and he doesn't know why. There's some big twists and changes. The last issue as Barry Allen died in front of him, seemingly killed by Aquaman. Man, he's getting deeper into the mystery, and it also seems to tie into our Batman and something he might have done to time, though we don't know what it is yet. What did you think about this issue, guys? Well, I gotta say, I'm not a big fan of Flashpoint, um, and I'm having a great time with this book. I think this is such, uh, you know, we had uh, there's such a cool reveal at the end. There, it's it's huge. But it's also a lot of fun, and uh, I'm enjoying it. I feel like this is great art and writing, and uh, you know, regardless of like how you feel about Flashpoint or you know whatever, I think you ought to give this a check. Give it a check. Give it a check. <laughs> like a check mark. Like on check your. It out. Ch- 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 no, no. Out. Write a check. Write some checks that <laughs> your body can't cash. When I go to the comic book store, they're thrilled when I whip out my checkbook. And they, oh, man. Everybody uh, lights up when you whip out a checkbook. Uh, I know. People love, Ooh, I love checks. It. What's on your checks? Was it, is it Muppet Babies? Do you have Muppet Babies checks? Or what do you got, buddy? Uh, yeah. yeah, the Tweety Bird. You know, oh, anybody. I uh, love funny. that Tweety Bird. Nice. Yeah. He's just, he doesn't Sylvester put up with any on one shit. side. Tweety Bird on the other is chasing him across the signatory yeah, area. The checks, there's a whole story it, it tells. That cat wants to eat that bird? Uh-uh. Not happening, brother. Because that bird is crafty and clever and has a lot of sass. 
Yeah. Honestly, if you pay me with one of those checks, you don't even need to put a number on that. I'm just <laughs> I'm just happy to get one of those checks. Just give me yeah, a blank You fooled one. me that getting a blank check once, Alex. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> just, just sign one of those checks handed no over to me. I'm just to no, in. don't worry. No. Just sign it and hand me it. I'll fill yeah, it. Exactly. You're a sneak. You're a real sneak. <laughs> But um, yeah, but people take me really seriously with my Tweety Bird checks. <laughs> Flashpoint um, Beyond number Flashpoint two. Flashpoint Beyond number two. Um, I think the art in this book is great. I also I really like the the characterization of Thomas Wayne. I think yeah. is good. Like we get a couple shades of him, like the good Thomas Wayne. Like you hear him when he's beating the shit out of people, like <laughs> diagnose them like a doctor would. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I really I like that specific. And I'm curious how this is going to – I mean, Jeff Johns is always sort of writing to the larger continuity of the DC universe with these books that he does. And he – there's a lot of the cla- – there's the classic, like, murder board with, like, stuff connected. We get some Dark Crisis refs in here. Um, so I'm curious how this will eventually pull back toward the main larger continuity of what's going on. But I like I like Penguin hanging out uh, yeah. at home. This kid – like, there's a lot of cool elements here. So to the point that you're making, Justin, I agree with you and you as well, Pete. I I really like this book. It's really good to look at. The characterization is interesting. I also wasn't a fan of Flashpoint, but I'm really enjoying the directions this is going in. But in a very external way to what you were saying specifically, Justin, Thomas Wayne mentions dark crisis here. We find out that Psycho Pirate is here. He was trying to escape a dark crisis in his universe. So this is Jeff Johns timing everything up with a bow. And in a very external way, I was like, this is a classic DC where they have, here's our big event. Also, there's another event happening. By the way. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it's distracting to have these things going on at the same time as a comic book reader who reads a lot of comic books for the show. That doesn't affect the quality of the book. Just again, on like a, on a weekly and monthly basis, it's a little frustrating. Well, but I, I feel like in here, it's like, hey, you just slide in the words "dark crisis" at some point. Totally It'll look really cool. And so, like, I get that impulse, but it does feel like is this part of it? It, it pulls you out of the main story in a way that obviously isn't ideal. Yeah. Next up, though, is After School, number one from Image Comics, written by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, art by Greg Hinkle. This is a new anthology title with some sci-fi horror stuff we don't know yet because it's only the first issue. But here we get a story of a fucked up dog. Um, What did you guys think about this one? Pete, I have to imagine this was very much not your thing. Well, first off, yes, it's gross as fuck. And there's a lot of really gross moments. But also one of the greatest uh, comic book panels of all time, Uh, you know, spoiler, but the the dog uh, smoking a cigarette. Oh, shit moment was really fucking enjoyable. That seems like a good shirt for you. I'm just going to say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I I thought about it. Let me ask you on that note, because I agree that was really cool. Where how is he going to get the the nicotine patch onto his skin? He's not quitting smoking, Justin. I understand yeah. you're trying to like rile up Pete here, but that no, dog, I'm just saying a vet, he's not I'm a dog is very cool. That's <laughs> that's like the Spuds McKenzie. Instead of drinking beer, he's smoking it. It's very instead cool. of drinking Bud Lights. Yeah, the well, coolest where, beer. <laughs> where did they put the alcohol patch on Spuds when he yeah. was trying to quit? Spuds drinking. died. Spuds oh, liver. He what? He died. Yeah, he died. What? Wasted. Yeah. yeah. Today. Recently. Today. Yeah. 
Miss Brady. Oh, <laughs> he lived uh, for a crazy long period of time. Right, it oh. was the alcohol. He basically pickled himself very early, and he just was running on fumes for decades. Yeah. Sorry, I can't cancel my plans tomorrow. I gotta go to Spud's <laughs> funeral. I'm gonna be. I imagine I'll be speaking. I was, oh, was pretty your close. Secretary. <laughs> yeah, right. Is she on? Is she on? Uh, it's not a she. It's a fictional he. Okay. Uh, it's like also a dog who also <laughs> drinks Bud Light. <laughs> no, I'm worried. My secretary. Mackenzie is. Just, yeah. <laughs> has your just real quick? Has your dog ever tried Bud Light burritos? <laughs> oh man. It's so crazy. He asked me to pick up a six pack today. Today, a yeah. tall boy, to spuds. I think he knew. And while you're saying it, it's very, it's very funny that that dog wasn't called Suds. What a missed opportunity! <laughs> missed opportunity. He, he, like truly, name that uh, name that drug dog after potatoes. I guess <laughs> that's, that's insane. When you said Suds, I was like, that is. Truly insane that they didn't call him Suds McKenzie. I can't believe that. I'm, I'm furious. If you ever get a time machine, you're going <laughs> to go back in time. No! Tell baby Suds. Hitler, Hello? hey, listen, there's something I need to tell you, baby Hitler. you got to make sure this dog is named Suds McKenzie. Suds McKenzie yeah. And yeah. baby Hitler will be like, okay. Yeah, yeah, maybe Hitler's in charge of these things. Anyways, the book is uh, very. Let me just say, the... in charge of advertising. the The book is is very insane. You think you understand what's happening? It keeps leveling up. Uh, it's insanity. So it's intense, but crazy creative and uh, definitely a, a fun read for sure. Um, yeah, I like this a lot too. I love an anthology series. I thought this one was cool and gross in all the right yeah, ways. Super and gross. when I'm delivering um, Spuds' eulogy, <laughs> I'm going to call him Suds. Just oh, see, who, oh, see thought, who blinks. I thought you were going to plug after school number one. Yeah, I'm going to do that at your eulogy, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> Bring up hey, Spuds He was a great guy Spuds McKenzie He should have been called Suds McKenzie Check out After School Number one from Image Comics nice. Next Perfect. up Earth Prime The Flash Number five from DC Comics By the way I hope the whole team At After School Really appreciated that review Earth Prime I the really Flash. like the book And I can't yeah, wait yeah, For the next book. issue Me too I, I, I'll tell you what Just to take a step back I wish I had known it was a one shot going in because the entire time I was like, ooh, they're wrapping this up real quick. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, it's an anthology. All right. I get what's going on now. Anyway, Earth Prime, The Flash, number five from DC Comics, written by Jess Carson and Emily Polizzi, art by David LaFuente and Pablo M. Collar. As usual, this is the writing teams of the CW shows taking on their characters, but in comic book form. I think there's been varying results as we've been reading through this books. But here we're getting a story of the future kids of The Flash, Impulse and Excess, as they go on an adventure. Then we get a couple of quick backup stories that go into other places in the world. I'll tell you what, this is one of my favorite ones. I think part of it was the David LaFuente art. Another yeah. part of it was that you really don't even need to know anything about excess or impulse from the show to enjoy this story. It's just a fun story of the flash, his kids going on an adventure together. I had a good time reading this, but how did you guys feel about it? Yeah, I think the art is fantastic. It's a great, great kind art. of setup. Uh, I like the, the team and there was a lot of great action. I feel like they did a great job of kind of like, uh, uh, pulling us in and uh, uh, kind of setting things up. I, I, I thought it was solid. 
there's a couple of great panels where um, the uh, a, the hero is featured and sort of a big splash and the panels of the action going on behind them that I was like, ah, oh, this is some of the best u- integration of uh, story and panel that I've seen in a while. I really like that. Um, uh, this is cool. And clearly uh, what I was thinking the whole time was Alex made us read this so that we go watch The Flash. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, That's you a- do not need to watch The Flash right now. Absolutely not. Under no circumstances, I'm not forcing anybody to read that. I do think, you know, we're far enough into this Earth Prime event that I think it's interesting to talk about them. I'm certainly curious because I feel trapped watching all of these shows to get a sense from you guys who do not currently regularly watch the shows, what you're thinking about them and whether they work as comic books, because ultimately... I think for an event like this to be successful, they need to work as individual comic issues first, exactly. regardless yeah. of whether you watch the show. Yeah. And I, and I think this one comic. does. Yeah. This yeah, one exactly. does. Agreed. The, like, I, like you said, like I don't watch the show and I don't really know these characters at all, but I thought this definitely worked as a story and I could uh, piece it together very easily. That's great. Yeah. Next up, The NeverEnding Party, number one from Comixology Originals, yeah. written by Rachel Pollock and Joe Corallo, art by Paul. Eva Cabrera. This is a book, as you can tell about the from the title, of a never-ending party in honor of Dionysus that gets started back in the day, and then years later we catch up with those characters, Yellow Jacket style, to try to find out what oh. exactly went wrong at that party back in the day. Justin, you seem stoked. Talk about this. Justin, you seem fired up. I love a party, and I especially love a party that just don't t- stop. Uh, just ask uh, my, my man Spuds. Um, the party may have stopped for him, but he's going to keep on partying in heaven. That's right. That's right. Um, and him. heaven for him is he was he's being buried at sea in one of the Budweiser <laughs> uh, beer tanks. In <laughs> beer uh, tanks. that's not sea, that's just beer. That's just a tank of beer. Yeah, tank of beer. True. What are you talking about? No, we're doing a Viking it's not funeral. Oil tankers. Bud Light doesn't get transferred like oil. Um, when I died, really? put me in a big old tank of Bud Light and let my body just float there. <laughs> Exactly. And everyone get, take, goes around and has a little sip. Um, <laughs> so uh, I like this book. Um, I do think uh, like it's all about the mystery of what happened and what's uh, going to happen. Uh, uh, happy. The, um, I like that the sort of mythological underpinnings of this story is cool. I do think we sort of just get a wash of the characters. I sort of want to get into them a little bit to really know uh, them, even if we don't know the mystery. Yeah, you mean inside their head a little bit. Um, I love it being inside stuff, buildings, oh. uh, tanks of beer after you die. Tanks of beer after I die, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, I love the stylized art in this comic. I think it's like a it's a really great look, a cool design, uh, and what's nice is like you know it looks like a great party. So that's uh, very inviting, and and I think that's a this is a cool setup. I'm interested to see what happens though, because so far it's just like, okay, we get it, but what's going to, I really don't know like what's coming next. So I kind of wanted a little bit more of like, holy shit, this is what's going to go down. Uh, But man, it's still a, a solid book. Shout out to Eva Cabrera's art in particular, which is, cartoony but there's a lot of stuff going on the yeah. characters are very expressive i really dug that part of the reminds book me of she-ra 
in a great mm-hmm. way. I could see that. Mm. Good call out. It's like She-Ra meets Yellow Jackets. That makes sense to everybody. Yeah! Dark I mean, it Knights, does. Yeah, I guess it does. Dark Knights of Steel, number seven from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Nathan Gooden. In this issue, we're catching back up with this medieval Batman as he meets the medieval Teen Titans and teams up with them. So lots of stuff going down here. Um, I'll tell you what, I'll just put this out here and then Pete will get angry at me. Uh, this was my least favorite issue of what this book. What the fuck you fucking fuck you, man? Even though I still like this book. Go ahead, Pete. Oh, uh, there it is. What? Yeah. That's, that's a shitty way to tee that up. First off, like, you know, the pattern is if one of us are excited about this comic, we call it so we get to talk about it first. But you had to fucking step on that. And then did the old fucking switcheroo to make me mad, but then there's no reason for me to be mad. What? <laughs> <laughs> you really like this book, Pete. Talk about it. Yes. There it is. It's, uh, there's amazing art on this. I love the kind of old timiness of it, but also the humor is great. I mean, you get Beast Boy as a dragon. There's a fun part where Batman falls down and they make a joke about it. I mean, this is just uh, a lot of fun, amazing art, great use of the era. Um, Yeah, I think this is just, uh, it's cool to see people we know kind of a little out of water and how they're kind of dealing with things. I'm having a great time with this book. I think it's really creative. Um, I, I would venture, Alex, I feel like you liked it less because there's a lot of like, um, uh, like getting into like the political ups and downs and we're sort of setting up a lot of stuff. It feels a little like middling Game of Thrones episode uh, in this. Uh, it's partly that. But the other thing is what Pete was talking about in terms of seeing the characters out of water. This is the one that I was like, they're the most in water in this issue where it was like. Bat, I've been loving the riffs that the team has been doing on all of these different characters and finding the ways to put them organically in a medieval situation. And they're like, this is what Batman's is like. This is what Black Lightning's family is like. This is what a Wonder Woman and her, uh, the Themyscarans are like. And here's how they're different and how they all work with each other. And this issue is like, and here's the Teen Titans. Right. Dot, dot. And it was just to the point, like Starfire shows up and it was like, I don't know what's different other than maybe she's wearing a canvas shirt, I guess. It, it's just kind a of... T- Alex, a tunic? And Beast Boy 2, I'm sorry. And Beast Boy 2 is the same thing. It's like, it's just Beast Boy. You know, there's no <laughs> there's no riff there. There's nothing that's particularly different about any of these characters. Turned into issue. a dragon! And it made me very mad, and I hate this book now. I just want to be clear about oh, that. Oh, my God, Pete, I hate so you know. so much. Uh, well, You're fucking I, ridiculous. <laughs> You're fucking ridiculous, man. And I, I also, I, I hate beer, and <laughs> I hate well, comics as a whole. Start, don't bring me into this. Oh, okay. Uh, no. How dare you insult no, beer? No, I still like this book. It just, it felt yeah, like, yeah, all right, into this. this is fine. Maybe we could have pushed this a little more. Uh, I feel weird because when I decided to be buried in beer now, anytime I see a beer, I think it's a tiny coffin. So it's a little (laughs) bit of... It kind of is a tiny coffin for yeast. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, shout out to the brew heads out there. Alex is dropping some some banger uh, material. I love it. Um, I I do like this book a lot. I feel like this and um, DC versus Vampires are these nice little pocket ongoing pocket universes in the DC universe where you get a lot of great riffs. 
Fun Pockets, the best. Uh, put that on the cover. Fun Pocket. <laughs> Man, Fun Pocket is that little pocket in your jeans that's too tiny for anything. <laughs> uh, anyway, I like this, but I agree with you. This was one of the more wooden or weaker issues of this run of the series so far. Hard disagree. Next up, Archie and Friends, Summer Lovin', number one from Archie Comics, written by T. Franklin and Tom DeFalco, art by Dan Parent and Kennedy Bros. Now, normally, I don't think we talk about these sort of more straightforward Archie comics. There's still right. a lot of them coming out. We usually tend to talk about the more horror-inflected ones, ones that tie into Riverdale. But I thought it was good to talk about this one because they're making a big deal about the main character, who is a queer uh, plus-size character, and she is in love with a partially disabled character, so there's a lot of stuff going on there in terms of positive representation in these Archie comics. Um, this is from T. Franklin, who wrote Bingo Love, a book that we talked about before, and is some of these things, uh, so she's certainly speaking and writing from experience. Uh, what'd you guys think about this book, though? How do you feel about this character and this introduction, particularly now that we are in the middle of Pride Month? here. Uh, I really liked the way that um, they just told the story um, about uh, told these stories or multiple stories in the book without it being like, can you believe and have it be about one or more of the specifics that you just laid out about um, uh, her background? Uh, and then only in the back matter do we get sort of that bio where we break down the specifics. So, And I, I, that's the kind of storytelling that I think we talk about a lot when it comes to representation. It's like, Tell the story and have people represented, but the story doesn't have to always and exclusively be about the specific qualities that this this character has. So I, I thought that was great. And I just inject Dan Parent art that is like the epitome of summer <laughs> to me. Uh -huh. And growing up reading Archie Double Double Digest, like to see this here, I was like, oh, it's like being a kid again. Pete, I know you're not the hugest fan of this style of Archie comics, but what did you think about this one? Yeah, I mean, you know, you're getting the jughead that I don't like that is just, you know, cheeseburger and, and goofing around and the Archie <laughs> that's doofy and shit. So it's like, you know, I like my jughead, a, a weirdo who likes to talk about how much of a weirdo he is. But well, think about is, it this way. He's in these books. He's in love with cheeseburgers in Riverdale. He's in love with Betty. So like Betty is the cheeseburger of Riverdale. Uh, just to be clear, though, he's not in love with Betty currently just to. No, uh, I'm I talking disagree. about in pizza. I disagree. Yeah. Yeah. Thank oh, you. You're, Thank you. you're yeah. speaking, Pete. Yeah, exactly. uh, I'm trying to win him over here. Yeah, yeah. yeah I got you. After uh, the, what just happened, yeah. I do. I am happy with the uh, the introduction of this character. I think this is great. Eli yes. Eliza is the name of the character, by the way. Yes. Um, and uh, I, I think that this is, oh, you know, I'm happy about this and liked her T-shirt that was, she was rocking. And I think that that's important to have in these comics, especially these ones that are stylized like this for this kind of old timey stuff. So uh, great for that. Uh, but yeah, unless you're really into this Archie stuff, you're, you know, you're not really going to have that great a good time. It's very funny as um, staunch Riverdale watchers and fans to see a non-Riverdale Cheryl Blossom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, who is very much like a, in the comics, just a more intense Veronica, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah. 
the the second story was very funny to me because the entire time I was reading it and it's a lot of like, we're on the beach and we're wearing bikinis. And I was like, uh, did they put a very straight story to sort of balance out the very queer story in the front? But by yeah. the end, there is a twist there in terms of what's going on that kind of plays against that that I thought was very nice and very fun. Uh, but to your point, yeah, Cheryl is very like, not like the show at all. Uh, yeah. But he's cool. Uh, I also he's just cool. wanted to give a shout out to uh, just in terms of like the characterization here. I thought they did a really nice job of making Reggie the dumb one in the front story. Yeah. And just he's the one like sort of back putting him into the continuity of these new characters that they're introducing was a good entry point there. But my biggest hope is this isn't just one story. You know, that's yeah. how you make a character like the stick is you put them in a lot of other stories. You just put them in there and you just have them there and doing things like you were saying, Justin. And that's the way they become important is they become part of the tapestry versus this first story, which obviously needs to be a big introduction. But it's the proof of the pudding is, are they are they here in five years or five years from now? Is it just Kevin Keller being like, hello, I'm the one gay guy in Riverdale? <laughs> But if you remember, I mean, Kevin Keller wasn't, you know, he wasn't in the original Riverdale yeah. gang and uh, it was a perfect addition and is, is now become a, a mainstay. And uh-huh. now he's poor a character Kevin. that they can barely figure out what to do with on Riverdale. Poor, Next poor, up, poor Aquaman wow. Andromeda, number one from DC Comics, written by Ram V, art by Christian Ward. We actually had Christian Ward as a writer on the show, yeah. just on the live show a couple of weeks ago. We should so have asked him about this. We really messed up. This is the <laughs> abyss, but with Aquaman is basically the way that I would describe it. Um, and I'll tell you what, I'll put this out there up front. Uh, so this is a black label book. It's out of continuity. Um, Pete, don't get upset at me. First of all, Christian Moore's art is killer throughout this so book. Good. And that is good. But love the part that is the abyss and then Aquaman, like, kind of showing up as an external force at the end. There's a couple of pages in there that are clearly setting up plot down the road where yeah. we get to see Aquaman doing some stuff. We get to see Black Manta doing some stuff. And that stuff, I was like, I don't need that. I just want to follow this crew going on crazy adventures and then encountering Aquaman is like, what the hell? There is a man under the sea attacking sea beasts. I didn't need that other part to give it context and bring it into the DC continuity. So that kept taking me out a little bit, but otherwise I really like this book quite a bit. You wanted this book to be called no Aquaman Andromeda. Well, I wanted the way that, and this is a spoiler, I guess, but at the end we see this big sea beast. They see on their scans, there's something that looks like a man there. And you get this very demonic looking Aquaman showing up attacking the sea beast that's what I liked. That That's what I thought was really interesting and alarming, just in sort of the sense of we're under the sea. This is an unknown world. What is happening here? Under Dusty. Under Dusty. Whenever they returned to the classic DC comic stuff, that's wow. the part that took me out a little bit. Wow. Pete, uh, yeah, you're I've... very upset at me about this. What's going well, on? Well, first off, you know, your dad humor with the uh, Dusty thing was really killing me. That was uh, me. Yeah, 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 it was Justin, and, yeah, and then darling, it's better down, down where it's wetter under Dusty. Uh, stop, please stop. Um, yeah, what I have mean, you got? A lot of sand? 
my, I, I like this. Well, I've as, got a hot crustacean bed. That's all I'm saying, Pete. But go ahead. Wow. I'll let you talk. Going in deep. The, a lot of know, lyrics. A lot of subtly played lyrics going on in this episode. Right now. <laughs> yeah. Will you be able to pick it up? I don't know. Here's a fun fact. Did people? I don't know if you guys know this, but Donald Faison of Scrubs actually originally <laughs> wrote the songs for uh, Little Mermaid. I love the French pronunciation you gave his name. <laughs> Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast over here. Pete, are you going to talk? Can I say something or do you want to go? Ross Perot, go ahead. Okay. Can it finish? Can it finish? Can it finish? Can it finish? Dana Dana Carvey, doing Ross Perot. Um, Thousand points a lot. All right. So, anyways, uh, I thought this was a fun thing that it delivered on. Okay, you got so what, people are gonna have to Google both Dana Carvey and Rob Perot to <laughs> understand this. That's so. Oh my God, it's so dusty on so many levels. And I love the who Pete, you, you call got it. dusty motherfucker. <laughs> I'm just saying, all of us get it. But we're doing a podcast in 2022, referencing Dana Carvey to a Rob Perot. That's all. We're fucking That's comedians. It. What the fuck? No, I don't. We're pros. Are Jesus we? <laughs> Are I don't we? know. It's a good question. I don't know what that under the sea bullshit. That was fucking. I'm under the sea. Stop. Stop. There's a lot of stuff going on here that we definitely should not be talking about. Do you guys like flossing? I just wanted to ask. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I thought this is exactly what it sent out to be. This was a psychedelic horror kind of take on Aquaman. And they kind of used them a little bit like Jaws, where just they gave us a little bit of it and then backed off and then a little bit more and backed off. But I was happy that we got more of the Aquaman world in there. I was happy to see Black Manta. I was happy to see the other things. So, yeah, I thought that this was cool. I thought as far as a first kind of like welcoming to this new take on Aquaman, I was like, all right, great. Yeah, let's take some different swings with Aquaman. Let's try some different stuff with Aquaman. I thought it looked funky and was interesting. Um, I really like um, what you were saying, Alex, the Aquaman being the external force, um, because I think the story doesn't really need a bunch of, like you said, uh, a bunch of like DC continuity. Um, I don't mind seeing Black Manta. I, I like that we just see him as the man first and he puts on the helmet and then we're like, oh, interesting. Because I think we're setting up the sort of Shakespearean uh, conflict between Aquaman and Black Manta that's always been there. Um, so I, I'm on board. I think it's cool. And like you said, the art is very good. That Texas Blood, number 14 from Image Comics, written by Chris Condon, art by Jacob Phillips. This is kicking off a new arc here after getting a very criminal style story and then a very true detective cult style story. Now we're getting a more Silence of the Lambs Halloween serial killer story from this book. So they're taking on a lot of different modes here. Justin, I know you're very excited about this one. What did you think? I love this book. I like that they take big swings. This is only the 14th issue and they've already told like great but wildly different stories um, in the 13 previous issues. This one has a great uh, like scream like like a small town, small Texas town version of scream opening. And the, the killer they introduced is pretty scary uh, looking and oh acting. Um, and so I really, I really like this book. The art's great. This is one of the, the best books that I've uh, that is continually coming out in the, of the last couple of years. 
This is too fucking scary, man. I mean, there was some like crazy panel reveals in here that are just horrific. And uh, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, this, this is a really impressive book that's scary as fuck, man, and a great use of uh, coloring. I agree. Great stuff. This I'm so excited for this arc. I can't believe how much they keep changing up this book, arc yeah. after arc. That's awesome. Particularly, like we said this in a very complimentary way, that it was like criminal, but uh, Sean, uh, Jacob Phillips being Sean Phillips, son right yep. uh is just the similarities there it felt it it felt like okay this book could be derivative in the long run even though it has its own tone and its own feel and its own pacing the fact that they are really stretching it and pushing it to crazy dimensions so exciting can't wait so to cool. see where this goes Next up, Batman Killing Time, number four from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by David Marquez. In this issue, Riddler and Catwoman are trying to sell whatever it is they have as we jump backwards and forwards in time following Batman, who is now teaming up with the help, the man who beat the shit out of him the last episode. While thousands of years back in time, a mom is walking up with her son's head, and then we get to see a play version of that from Escalus, I believe, a thousand yeah. years later. Nice. And so lots of stuff going on and lots of different timelines. This Sorry, is only Euripides. Getting... Euripides. Um, <laughs> get it? Yeah. You rip these heads off. Okay. Wow. Okay. Okay. Real, real quick, Pete, who just absolutely destroyed Under the Sea, and you come <laughs> back with that? You come back with Euripides heads up? Yeah, that's right. Check your, you watch yourself. You watch yourself. Yeah. Hey, did what did uh Pete, real quick, why did the Greek playwright go to the tailor uh with his pants? Euripides. Oh, sorry, what did what did the tailor say to the playwright when he ripped his pants? Euripides? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Nice. I'm just sort of workshopping that a little bit. Nice. Uh, yeah, no, it's good. I mean, it's great. I mean, sure, the listeners really like to see a great comedic minds at play, like we're uh, really showcasing. I don't know if we should say great comedic minds. Yeah. Really, you don't think this so? This show references Ross Perot and also <laughs> made a great joke about Euripides. Five stars. Would love for you to read Sandbad. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good comment. That's a comment I can't wait to see. Yeah. Beef. <laughs> Beef. <laughs> Beef. <laughs> I really like this book, but uh, there's a wild amount of stuff happening at this point. It's funny that to me that in the first three issues, my impression, and I think we all agreed on this. It was like, wow, this is Tom King really streamlined, just telling a fun adventure story. And this one, he was like, it takes place over 3,000 years. <laughs> Multiple, yeah. there's a MacGuffin. You don't know what it is, but it's the most powerful thing in existence, and everybody's ever died for it. Um, so it's definitely blowing it out quite a bit. I'm still enjoying it, but it's reaching Tom King dimensions, which it was yeah. not at for the first three issues. Uh, I really like this as well. Pete, how do you feel um, seeing Alfred outbuttled so hard by the help in this book? Don't don't come don't come at Alfred, bro. All right. Fucking show some respect for fucking Alfred and what he's done. And he's I wish Batman, I could, right? but this. Guy's like he's buttling and he's also like kicking ass. Alfred's just bringing the cucumber sandwiches. Don't don't fucking talk shit to Alfred, dude. You don't know what he's doing. All right. Uh, I think this is just like an intense 
uh, dark story that keeps getting bigger. I'm excited to see what King's doing over here. The guy, uh, guy knows what he's doing and he's definitely, uh, kind of like turning up his own style to 11. So I'm interested to see how this is all going to unfold. Next up, Twig, number two from Image Comics, written by Scotty Young, art by Kyle Stram. We had the two of them on our live show this week. Oh, so we should have chat- talked to them about it. Yeah, we just chatted with them about uh, Ross Perot. Anyway, it was a great chat with them. Really enjoyed hearing from both of them about the artistic process of putting this book together. And I am happy to say that this book is real good. Looks amazing. It's a adventure story about a young something or other that Wait. is traveling to save his land. The stuff that you brought up, I believe, Justin, on the show, Dark Crystal, other things like that as touch points, I think are really good ones. Pete, what do you think about this one, then? I mean, this is just... What's great is it's a magical world that isn't ruined by words. It's We're kind of really leading with the imagination in this book. It's it's an awesome story that we get to kind of explore and it's not over talked. It's not over explained. We're just kind of thrown in it with these characters. And uh, yeah, it really kind of brings back this feeling of, you know, like Fraggle Rock uh, or never ending story where there's these just huge characters that as soon as you see, you kind of will never forget. They're kind of just kind of burned in your mind a little bit. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really, really creative uh, and a ton of fun. So, I mean, these guys are killing it. And, you, you know, to hear them talk about, you know, the kind of like stuff that's brought them the, to this point creatively and kind of how they want to make comics and how kind of they had a come to Jesus moment with this comic and then change directions. And I'm so happy that they kind of like, we're able to kind of keep this in a place that they love because it really comes across in the, in the art and the storytelling. Yeah. Uh, it's a great book. Uh, we talked, uh, the, the interview we had with them was really fun and really good. And they really got behind the scenes with how they built this book. Um, so it's very cool. Um, Pete, do you have a question? Yeah, I did. Uh, just something I wanted to ask you guys. Um, was it really hard because all I wanted to do was talk to them about their backgrounds because Scotty Young looked like he had like banana shit behind him, like just amazing art that I was like, did he draw all of that? Or is that like he collected from well, other people? Pete, I, I want to give you a little spoiler here, but you know how I asked Kyle about a videotape that was behind him <laughs> of Gremlins 2? Yeah. You could have asked Scotty about well, his Well, that's the thing. I didn't want to derail the whole interview. You can of- derail whatever you want this that's a, a classic like, interview yeah. technique shouldn't classic have, interview technique if you have that okay if you have a question for someone you're interviewing you can ask it <laughs> um, a lot of great interview like um frost nixon famous interview uh, he actually did ask a lot of questions during that hmm. i mean we like, got right, the gremlins too but also if you notice he had the foam like alex had uh, at a comic-con it was the foam chainsaw for evil dead Yeah. I mean, as an example, I'll give you that uh, I watch all of the late night shows and Jimmy Fallon will usually sit there silently for his guests for a solid hour. I don't love that. Jimmy Kimmel will ask them questions. And I like that. Huh? Yeah. That's two very different techniques. (laughs) And honestly, I know that's a joke, but it's also sort of true. (laughs) I feel like, you know, Fallon just kind of sits there and is like, you're awesome. 
Uh, I wish it would be yeah. more him not talking and letting the roots play. That would right. be more fun. Also, it would be great <laughs> if he asked them uh, the guests about what was going on behind them. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah like cool. uh, that's why I bring up Alex's Darth Tater that's behind him very <laughs> uh, often. And it, Pete, uh, you weren't you weren't there, but I went to Alex's house recently and got to see Darth Tater in person. Oh yeah. my God, what's it like in the new place, man? We are so far away from doing the actual show we're recording right now. (laughs) (laughs) Last thing that I wanted to mention about Twig number two, we talked about this a little bit on the live show, but particularly shout out to Kyle Stram's art, which is out of control. And Jean-Francois Bolo, is that how we decided to pronounce it? Uh, Bolo Colors, Bolo, who uh, it's phenomenal. Like, Really like good. Pete is saying, the words by Scotty Young are great, but if you want to just pick it up and flip through it and look through what's going on in this world, it's incredible to look at. Last but not least, this was our request from Beef Negamaki on Beef? Apple Podcasts. Champions, Wait. Volume 1 from Marvel, written by Mark Wade, art by Humberto Ramos. This is the first volume of the book, I believe, post-Civil War II, if I remember correctly. That's correct. And the idea is a champion's very timely for what's going on today. It is led by Miss Marvel or de facto led by Miss Marvel. And basically they're a team who is kind of trying to be proactive, but more trying to say, Hey, let's do stuff that matters and then let people do it themselves. And I remember reading this book back in the day and kind of just being so blown away by the simplicity and straightforwardness of this concept and the best Mark Wade sense. It reminded me a little bit of his uh, Legionnaires book that he yeah. did where oh, yeah. it was also they were like, yo, we're teens. We're going to do teen stuff in the universe. We think different than adults. And Mark Wade's an old guy like us, but I feel like he really actually gets these teen characters and understands what drives them in a different way than other writers. And it was a pleasure to revisit this book, but monologue out of the way for me, what did you guys think about this? I agree with all that. Mark Wade's such a great writer. He has such a, a command of the medium of comic books and he does something in this book that uh, I wish there was more of is bringing characters together from different sort of pools of the Marvel universe and putting them together on a team. That used to be more of a standard thing, um, like when you had Wolverine on the Avengers and it was like they could you could touch base with all these different aspects that you like. And this we get we have Cyclops here. He's hanging. Uh, Just real quick note about that. I had legitimately completely forgotten about the thing where Brian Michael Bendis brought the teen X-Men into the main continuity. So seeing teen Cyclops again was just this brain rewiring thing. But I, I know, Pete, you're nodding your head no, but I love how team Cyclops is used here as a jerk. Who's like, well, I've done some superhero stuff. And they're like, yo, you were taken forward in time and you had like one mission. What are you talking about? Yeah, Yeah, I really like the Cyclops taking down a pack aspect of of this book for for sure. But also, I mean, something that, you know, you can't take away from Cyclops as much as I would like to is his leadership and his the way he can use people to uh, for their end goal. But uh, we're skipping over the the big story here, and that's Ramos's art. Uh, just such a great 
idea to have him as this artist because we have these younger Avengers and this artist is like has a younger cool look to these characters the, the way that these characters are drawn is such a cool creative take for these characters so it's fun to see them step up against the kind of main Avengers and characters and be like, yo, you guys aren't really getting it done. You know, you're saving the day and then you're piecing out and these people have to kind of dig themselves out of the rubble from the place that you just trashed. So it's a great idea. It's got such a cool young vibe to it, uh, which feels weird to say out loud as an old guy. But I just feel that like they did well, such a like great job bathing in the Blood of youth, is that correct, Pete? That's how you stay young. Yeah, yeah, I crack open babies' heads like a Pez and I <laughs> drink the blood. Um, but the thing is, is I just think that the stylistically, they did such a Pez. great job of this team. And uh, I think it's it's such a cool take and fun to see. I, I thought it was I, I really just, well done. This is apropos not of this book or anything, but I just wanted to mention, Pete, you know that uh, the Pez actually comes out of the deck. You don't have to break open the top part to the Pez. <laughs> Dispose, famously disposable Pez dispensers. Well, you know, I'm going to agree to disagree. You know, if you want to drink blood from a baby a different way, you show me how to do it. But I'm going to do no, it the Pez fair way. Fair enough. Fair enough, Ben. The Pez way. Yeah. Uh, I do things the Pez way. Give yeah. me Donald Mustard. Uh <laughs> The other thing I want to say about this book is um, we talk a lot about uh, Tom Taylor's Superman book with um, John Kent and how uh, it has that energy like this is a Superman that wants to change the world, actually change the world. It feels very like new, fresh, different direction. Uh, this Champions book has that same energy. So if you like the Superman book uh, out there right now, this would be a great um, jump back in a reread. Yeah, this is a great time. team. It's a great concept. We didn't really mention who's on it, but you got the Sam Alexander Nova. You got Viv Vision. You got Amadeus yeah. Cho Hulk. And this is stuff that reading this, like I know I mentioned the Cyclops thing, but these are niches in Marvel continuity that some of them are really fun. Like they're yeah. really good to read. And sometimes you read things like, I don't know why I'm calling out this out in particular, but I think about Death of Superman. When you read Death of Superman, you're like, oh, right. Supergirl was a blob and Lex Luthor was a big guy with a big bushy red beard. Very weird. But yeah. you read something like this and these characters work really nicely the way that they're yeah. written. And particularly, as Pete mentioned, the way that they're drawn, it works really well together. So this is a very fun volume. Plus um, it. It yeah. boils the characters down to some really cool ideas and seeing them put in motion like this is, I just think it's such a great use of characters that we've seen so many times, but kind of put a different spin on it that makes it uh, really unique uh, for this team up. It's a hangout book. All these characters are hanging out and the dialogue is excellent. Yeah. yeah. Great stuff. Definitely check it out. Thank you for the recommendation. If you would like to support the show, patreon.com. Wait. I just want to say real quick, I had some free time. I checked out the DC Pride uh, 2022, oh, yeah. Yeah, number one. It's uh, really an amazing collection of great stories. And sometimes when you get a collection, uh, you're like, oh, there's some misses in here. But I was really impressed with uh, the, the level of not only art, but storytelling. I thought it was pretty neat. 
Awesome. We'll definitely check that out. And if you'd like to support us, as mentioned, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast, and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. Yeah, I guess I'd like to talk to Mr. Budweiser himself, because I, <laughs> I got to talk about the Suds thing. Uh, I just... Sorry, I was talking to my assistant again. <laughs> Nothing.